If you have your Bible, if you'll turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 14, as we continue our sermon series together in this book, this amazing book of church history. Uh, we're in the midst of a sermon series entitled Encounters, and specifically we're looking at encounters that the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and the good news that He's alive and He's for us, has with different people, really through Paul. Uh, starting off with Paul's life, but through his first missionary journey. Uh, we'll actually get into, uh, in a few weeks, uh, his second missionary journey. I would call it, if I were Paul, if I was like his marketing manager, and he's about ready to set off, I'd say, let's call this the Good News Tour. I mean, this is amazing good news, and uh, you're going to be touring the world at that time and telling people about Jesus Christ. And I tell you, the effects of this is incredible, world-changing. Your life is impacted because of this, uh, because of what Christ has done. Your life has been altered. Man, I mean, people, men and women, children came to know and love Jesus, and some came to hate him too. It's amazing what the gospel will do. Uh, last week, we looked at uh, the uh, call to Pisidian Antioch. Uh, we looked at that. That's a city that Paul went to, and there was a large Jewish population there, and that Paul would preach the good news there. And and there were so many that responded that the next Sabbath, the whole city came out. And so many people came to Christ. All who were appointed to eternal life came. But something else happened. Some people got really angry. So he was kicked out of that area. Today, we're going to see him uh, appear in a place called Iconium. And let me show you, on our journey, we did the trip between Pisidian Antioch and uh, Iconium. As a matter of fact, we did it backwards, but absolutely beautiful. I mean, breathtakingly beautiful. It's about 100 miles. So where Paul was kicked out, he's going to journey about 100 miles going through mountains like this. And, and the, the landscape is, is beautiful. Again, I kind of think of like North Carolina or the Adirondacks. And some of these mountains were way bigger than that. Uh, you can see the family right here and some of the paths that Paul would have taken. As a matter of fact, this one lake here is famous that there's a, a road that he would have been right next to this lake. And you can see how clear it was and how, how beautiful it really is. And but when you come into Iconium, I, uh, uh, it's now, it's a city called Konya. It's a city of 1.1 million people. It's the fourth largest in Turkey. And it's a very, very modern city. This is a view from the hotel. And then you come into town, really, I look for Christianity everywhere. I saw signs of Islam everywhere. Uh, but it was very hard to find some of Paul's footsteps in such a metropolitan area. Um, Iconium or Konya is kind of like the Cooperstown of baseball. And when it comes to whirling dervishes, because whirling dervishes were invented there, started there uh, by this guy, Rami, who's going to uh, have an experience in the Sophie movement of Islam. And they actually spin. Have you ever heard of a whirling dervish? You ever wonder what that is? These are whirling dervishes. Those are not. Uh, I took this picture. Uh, this picture really intrigued me. You could probably tell it was right from our van, but it was just tea is very, very common. Uh, they would have tea all the time, always in glass. But I was really intrigued with how close these men sit, were sitting together. It seems like uh, uh, oftentimes, I don't know if it was proximity, the size, but just doing life together. So I just kind of grabbed that and took a, a snapshot. Around the corner from our hotel was this sign. Can you guys read that? You know what that says? It says, American exam. What do you think's going on in that room? I mean, what is an American exam? 
what is on that quiz, I wonder? You're going to go in there, you're going to listen to a, a little bit of American rock and roll to see if you can identify that. Uh, uh, what, what is the, identify the American dream? Uh, I was very kind of intrigued uh, with that uh, um, sign. Hey, from Iconium, we're going to read that he went to Lystra and Derby. Now, Lister and Derby are ancient cities. There's nothing really there. Uh, that city is huge. And so we did not go to those areas. But I want to tell you a little bit about Lystra as well, because we're about ready to read uh, Acts chapter 14. And something very strange is going to happen in this story in Lystra. As a matter of fact, Paul and Barnabas are about ready to be worshipped. And you may want to say, well, what in the world is wrong with these people? that they're seeing a miracle and they're worshiping these guys. They're calling them Zeus and Hermes. Well, there was a, a Latin poet by the name of Ovid. And Ovid, about 50 years before Paul made his way to Lystra, told a story of that area. And he says that the gods appeared. The gods appeared in human form in that city. Hit pause. Do you know how long, how each of us long for God to appear in human form? Does this not sound like our story? Isn't it good news of the gospel and what we celebrate? But they were told the story that the gods appeared in Lystra and it was appeared as uh, Zeus and Hermes. Or in some translations, it was Jupiter and Mercury. And that they visited the city in human form and no one recognized them. And so they went to, it says, a thousand households and all of them turned them away. But one old couple took them in. He said that old couple's house became a temple and everybody else was wiped out. And so, an interesting little story. It'll give you a little background of why did they act the way they did in Acts chapter 14. What I'm going to do, uh, typically I read scripture and then I pray. I'm going to pray before scripture because I'm going to give some commentary along the way. Try to fill in uh, this story for us. So, will you please pray with me? Father God, my hope is in you. And you and you alone, and the work of your Son, and being empowered by your Spirit. Father, I ask that you would show me, show us the way. That you would guide me, guide us in, in truth. The Father, because you love us, and because you're for us, would you come and join us in power, in spirit. That you give us the ears to hear Jesus' voice, and God, Give us minds to understand your word, this, this story that seems so ancient in so many ways. Make it alive for us. And God, would you open up our hearts to embrace your love and embrace the truth that you have for us. And God, would you be with us so tangibly that when we walk out of here, we would walk out with feet empowered by the good news of the gospel, that we would walk in a manner worthy of your name. Father, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to, to make us more like your Son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Hearing God's word recorded to us uh, by Luke, but empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, he would write, and again, God's word's never a story just to entertain us or even he just educate us. God's word is God breathed. And because of that, it's here to transform us. So let's put ourselves under the authority again of God's word. 
It says, now at Iconium, they gathered together in the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now remember, in the end of 13, they were driven out of Antioch, uh, Pisidia, Antioch. They were driven to this area. Paul's MO, his mode of operation is, he goes first into the synagogue. And he preaches the good news. We, we had a sermon given to us in chapter 13 of what it might have sounded like. And many, both Jew and Greek, believed. But the unbelieving Jews, now, interesting thing, the, the translation there uh, is this. It's, it's really the disobedient Jews. Isn't it interesting that unbelief is really disobedience? But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained. I love that. There's going to be opposition. So they remained, and not just a little bit of time, for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace. What an interesting way to describe the gospel. I don't think it's described any other way. Uh, this way is a unique way of word of his grace. All of God's working is grace, grace, nothing but grace. We'll see more of that even next week. Granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lister and Derby, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Man, they've been kicked out of another city. Wouldn't you wonder, man, is it worth preaching this gospel? But they can't stop preaching the gospel. I'm going to tell you a little bit more. Extra stuff, not even my notes, no charge. Uh, Lister and Derby uh, in the Lyconian area, uh, when we started looking at the Bible, people who thought this wasn't God's word started looking at it and saying, you know what, these two cities aren't even Lyconia. It's just another example that the Bible's wrong. So there was a guy, uh, Sir William Ramsey, I believe, an English guy who thought the Bible was filled with errors. And he says, I'm myself going to go prove this wrong. So he goes on an archaeological dig in the 20th century. And he goes back and they, they, they literally take a shovel and they find out, guess what? During this time, Lister and Derby were together. They found evidence that it was there. It was in this area. And he said, man, I was wrong. God's word is right. Isn't that kind of cool? I mean, again, uh, uh, trying to disprove God's word oftentimes leads us to kneel our, our, bound our, bow our knees and call him Lord and Savior. All right, verse eight. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not rise to his feet for he was crippled from birth and had never walked. What were his feet like if he had never walked? He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well or faith to be saved. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how he did it, but he did to the power of the Holy Spirit. He said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. Wow. And he sprang up and began walking. I just couldn't help but think of a baby for the first time ever trying to learn how to walk. I mean, immediately sprang up, got on his feet, and began to walk. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, which, by the way, Paul and Barnabas would probably not understand a word they're saying. But what they said was, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Remember the story I told you. 
Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer a sacrifice with the crowds. Man. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out in the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, the gospel. Paul, in the last chapter, told we got recorded a sermon that was preached to the Jews. Here we have a sermon preached to the Gentiles. A little bit different, but points to Jesus. That you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own way. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with good food, with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Watch this turn. But, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowd, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when his disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. You know, it's football season, and anytime they bring out the cart and some kid is lying on the ground, it just, the whole place goes hush, right? And all you want to have is that thumbs up. They talk about the thumbs up of a kid that they know that parts are moving, he's not paralyzed. And, and, and here you have, I mean, Paul, they think he's dead. They drag him out of the city. And all of a sudden, he gives them more than just a thumbs up. He jumps up. And what does he do? He goes back into the city. And the next day he goes to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city, we don't know what he preached, but we know it was about Jesus, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, where he was stoned, to Iconium, where he was threatened to stone, to Antioch, that's Pisidian Antioch, where he was cast out. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. I guess so. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed and with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And then they passed through Pisidia. They went all the way back around, came to Pamphylia. And, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, which again, I was there. I didn't show you a picture of that. It's right on the Mediterranean. It's beautiful. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, the, the Antioch in, in Syria where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Let us pray. Father, give us clarity. Give us understanding for your glory. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Okay, let me ask you a question. What would you do 
If someone shows up at your door, you go home from church, you have a nice meal, and all of a sudden someone shows up at your door, knocking at the door, and you look to your spouse or your family and say, hey, do we expect anybody? Who's coming to our house? I have no idea. But you can tell with the urgency of the pounding that there's somebody who really wants your attention. And you go to the door and you open it up and there's someone standing there so disheveled, so broken, so wounded. I mean, that you realize, oh my goodness, it, it, it nearly cost this person their life to get this message to me. That it was at great peril. They, they should be at the doctors. They should go see medical help. But instead, they have come to you to give you a, a, an urgent message. What would you think? I mean, you'd have to say, what message could they have for me that is so important that they would risk their life to tell me? What do I need to know? What is so desperate that I need to know? That they couldn't have just emailed me or they, they couldn't have just called me or they couldn't have waited until they were healthy. And what kind of messenger, what kind of messenger risks everything to get us a message? We're going to find those answers right here in God's word for us. Again, if you want to follow along with the outline, it's, it's in your bulletin for you. What kind of message is this? Well, we see in the verses 1 through 7 that this message of the gospel, it both unites and it divides. There's a saying that politics makes strange bedfellows. You think about that. That's a strange saying, isn't it? The saying alone, you start thinking about that's a really strange saying. But it is. But politics does interesting things, especially this time of year, of people joining together say we're really against that person. People joining together saying we really are for this cause or for that cause. Well, if politics can get together strange bedfellows, let me tell you what the gospel can do. Jews and Gentiles didn't talk to each other. They didn't like each other. They didn't eat together. They, they, they really had nothing to do with each other. A, a good Jew at the time would say that they're, they're dirty and they'll defile me. And yet the gospel that unites male and female, Jew and Gentile, making one. It's an amazing, powerful, good news of the gospel that makes us one. I texted Joe Creech this morning, uh, checked to see how the team's doing. I love waking up on early on Sunday mornings and praying for my mission partners that I know that are having worship service right then. So when you're up about five and you're praying for them because they're, they're ministering and, and Scott DeVries has gotten a little sick and he's doing great. I wanted to check on him and make sure he's okay. And, and Joe was saying that, man, when you, when you texted me, I was serving communion. And so I had to call him, oh, I'm sorry about that, Joe. Um, but, you know, it, it unites us that our brothers and sisters, it's amazing power of the gospel that, that your brothers and sisters right now are worshiping around the world. Brothers and sisters look nothing like you. That, that don't vote the way you do, don't think the way you do, didn't grow up with the American dream like you have. There are brothers, there are sisters, and that's the power of God that unites us. It's incredible. But it also divides us. It, it, it both united folks in the cause of Christ, and it united folks against the cause of Christ. I love that. It says Jew and Gentile both came to know Jesus. Jew and Gentile both started persecuting him and the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were united to drive out anything they could. Why does the gospel unite and divide us the way it does? I really believe it's because Jesus promises so much in the gospel. The gospel claims that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that sin has really been conquered. Death has really been conquered. That we have new life in him. Man, that should unite all of us. 
But it also tells us if Jesus is alive, he's our rightful king. He's God's authority. We owe him everything, our very lives. And to submit to him as king is going to cause some to really be divided. I love what Paul says in the book of Ephesians, the letter to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 1.10, he says that in Christ Jesus, God was uniting all things in heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. The gospel is this. God is going to unite all things in heaven and earth through Christ Jesus. Heaven and earth. And the way he's going to do it is he's going to divide. He's going to divide sheep and goats. Those who know him and those who reject him. How's the gospel in your family? Has it united you? Has it divided you? I, I look around and I know some of your stories and some, some of your extended family think you're crazy for loving Jesus. Some of you have been divided because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be surprised. That's what the gospel does. It both unites and divides. What kind of message is this that heals and both excites or ignites? Let's talk a little bit about healing. Healing is specifically in the book of Acts. This story of Paul healing a crippled man will sound eerily familiar for those familiar with this book to how Peter healed a crippled man. And in the book of Acts, these signs and wonders that the apostles do always are accompanied by preaching. It's not a sideshow. It's not a freak act. It's something that comes along with them that God uses. These healings aren't to prove that they're a God. These healings are more to prove that these messengers are gods, that these are authentic messengers of God. Well, healing also in the Bible is this. It's to show us that God's kingdom has come. When Jesus came on earth, he says, I bring you good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. And when the kingdom of God is at hand, follow me here, it's really important. Everything that was broken and cursed starts to come undone and starts to be made as it should be. Every healing that Jesus does, every healing of his apostles is to show us that life wasn't supposed to be like this. And one day there will be no more tears. One day there'll be no more brokenness and crippledness and blindness. And one day we will all be in Christ Jesus for his set free. But the kingdom is not fully here. Never does it say he healed every person. We see that Paul or Peter didn't go in to uh, the infirmaries and heal them all. Uh, there are still people who are sick then and today as well. And we long for the ultimate healing still to come. The most important healing that a child of God has needed is accomplished in Christ Jesus for all of us. It's universal to his children. And that is the healing of our sin. That, that through Christ Jesus and his grace that we've been given a new nature. We've been made brand new. The old is gone. The new has come. And so the greatest, listen, the greatest healing that man has ever needed, every single one of us, is to be made new and to be cleansed. And in Christ Jesus, that's the power of God for salvation. The greatest need of healing by God's grace I've had. In Christ Jesus, I've been made new. For those of you as well in Christ, you have too. All right, well, does, do you believe God still heals today? As a matter of fact, I was getting that question in the, in the new members class. Is, does God still heal today? I would say absolutely. I believe he is. He's God Almighty. He does whatever he wants to do. There's nothing holding him back. 
except for his own character and nature. But I do know this. This was a unique time. This is not what theologians would say is normative. This is not normal. Sometimes we read the Bible and say, oh, this is normal behavior. I should be able to walk into a place, see someone who looks like they have faith and say, stand up and be healed. This is not normal behavior. This is a supernatural thing that was happening at this time. This was a unique messenger. He was an apostle. He was set apart in a unique way that I'm not and you're not. The apostles were those that were handpicked by Jesus himself. They had a unique office and some unique giftings. And they had unique power. But again, it's the same cancer, or same, same uh, power. Do I believe that God can still heal? Yes, I believe he healed my own wife from cancer. You know, I remember, some, I remember catching Katie in the, uh, and she was crying in the, in the kitchen as we were going through this cancer ordeal. And, and I, I didn't know what she was crying for. And, and she just, but it wasn't sadness, it was joy. And I could see on her life. And she says, I just overwhelmingly sense that God is telling me I'm healing you. And you got to understand, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a per, I, I never heard God's voice audibly, you know? I mean, but she didn't either. But she says, in, in my spirit, I'm just, I truly believe that God is telling me I am healing you. And I believe he did. He used surgery, he used chemo. And he used radiation. Did he need to use those? Of course not. But that's normally, he's going to work in, in normal ways and, and sometimes supernatural ways. But I know my God healed my wife. And doctors did great work, but I know my God healed my wife. At the same time, I know my God has healed some of my brothers and sisters by taking them home. And I don't feel like we have a magic formula that makes God act the way we want him to. I think God's ways are not our ways. I don't think there's a certain person that can manipulate God. I don't think anybody is so gifted that they'll make God heal and they could speak and God's gonna have to respond. I think we speak in Jesus' name and there is power. But I also know that when I kneeled on a Sunday morning and asked my God to stop the pain so I could come tell you that he was good, he didn't do it. And I tried everything I could to put him in a headlock. And he wouldn't get in it. And I had to bend my knee and say, do I trust him? I know he could have immediately stopped the pain. And that time he chose not to. And I beg him saying, God, I want to walk with you through the darkness. Knowing that if you choose to heal, you choose not to that my lips will say, but he's my God. The mystery of God is not controlled by man. But it not only heals, it also excites. I mean, it's, it's interesting what happens. The gospel is seen in power and there's a healing. So what do they do? They fall down and worship Jesus. No, they fall down and worship the apostles. They could hardly restrain him from sacrificing to them. And the gospel is going to have some kind of response. But I want you to know, how much does Satan hate the gospel? You know what the enemy's trying to do? He's trying to kill the messengers with stones. That doesn't work. So he's tried something that's, I'd say, equally, if not more deadly. Let's have them praised. Let's have them worshiped. And I love what they do. They tear their clothes. No, 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 no. We're men like you. Do you know what praise and worship does to men and women of God? Do you know what 
It's ripped the church apart when we set pastors on pedestals and we think somehow they're not going to be like David and sin. I mean, come on, we've seen it in our community. And, and for the love of Mike, I mean, I try to tell you every week, I'm like you, I'm broken, I'm sinful. Get me off a pedestal. Most of you don't treat me like that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Put your hope in Jesus, not his messengers. And Satan is so cunning and so crafty that he's, he's going to want to elevate and have the messenger worshipped and then love to see him fall. They would have none of it. What kind of message encourages and strengthens and brings tribulation? Well, that's the gospel. I mean, the gospel should encourage and strengthen us. I mean, even today you're here. Hear good news that God is for you and God is with you. Hear good news that God will fulfill all of his promises. Hear the good news. If God is truly for us, and how do we know if God is for us? He didn't spare his own son. Will he not freely also give us all things? More good stuff's coming. And this is not the best life now. The best life is when we see him face to face. God is not only with us, for us, he's with us. He is Emmanuel. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He gives us the Holy Spirit as our guide and as our comfort. But he says, not only, he goes back and he not only encourages and strengthens, but he tells him the truth. And he says, by the way, you're going to have tribulations. And I can't help but picture Paul right then. Because Paul's the guy who says in Galatians 6, 17, I bear in my very body the marks of Jesus. What would it be like to show up to hear Paul preach with a black eye? I mean, with, with a huge lump on his head and skin that was torn off his body from being stoned. I mean, that's who he is and that's where he was. And I imagine when someone stands up with a shiner that's been knocked unconscious because of preaching the gospel, says, by the way, I want to tell you that you're going to have a, if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have stuff thrown at you. You're going to have, you're going to have family members who can tell you you're a lunatic. You want to follow Jesus? I mean, there's going to, you're going to lose jobs because of it. And people are going to think you're an idiot and you're crazy and you're stupid. And if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have tribulation. And if you have none, let me ask you, you following Jesus? And I know that we don't live in the same time and no one's hurling rocks at me. But I love the beauty that he's so transparent. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation, Jesus says, but I've overcome it. And if you want to live a godly life, Paul says, listen, you're going you're to suffer. But man, we suffer and we find fellowship with Christ. Lastly, what kind of messenger endures persecution and shuns adoration? I love what Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. He says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. I mean, my life has been so turned upside by Jesus, upside down. My life has been so made new. And I'm, I mean, I have one reason to live. I have one passion for me to live as Christ. To die, it's even better. And I got to tell good news. I, that's who I, that's all I have. I got to tell the good news of what Christ has done for me. You see, Paul came into an encounter with Jesus and Jesus did for him what Moses and the law and religion couldn't do. Jesus set him free. Jesus made him whole. I mean, Jesus gave him life and he couldn't stop telling that good news. Paul, what he received was so good, he had to share it. What about this Ebola stuff? What if there was somebody who really could just wipe it out right now? I mean, just, just take care of it right now. And 
What if he knew how to control and contain and cure Ebola? And what if he just kept it to himself? I mean, that's about the ultimate act of selfishness. You see, God has given us the cure for our greatest disease of sin and death. And it's in Christ Jesus. And we are healed. Doctors Without Borders, heroes. Dr. Craig Spencer, 33 years old, came back from treating an Ebola patient in Guinea on October 17th and now developed fever and nausea and pain and the chills and fatigue and has been diagnosed with Ebola. Man, that guy's a hero to me. The rest of us are scared to death of him because that's what it does. I mean, like, get that guy away and keep him quarantined. I don't want to get what he gets. But that guy went into harm's way. And for what reason? To help. And what reason to give, to give, try to bring healing might cost him his life. I want to tell you about Jesus. He's a savior without borders. Jesus, uh, he did come to heal us. And he did so at great peril to himself. I mean, just becoming man. And, and listen, when Jesus came to heal us, he contracted our disease. He did. All of it. I mean, all of the brokenness. And on that cross, hanging naked, he caught the disease of sin. He became our sin. And he died our death. And he rose again so that we can live. So we could have life and so we could be set free. That's a gospel worth sharing. Jesus risked it all. He never gave up the good news. <laughs> when Paul says, man, what a fickle crowd. They went from worshiping me to killing me. And Jesus was like, yeah, I know, man. I remember that. I remember Hosanna was ringing in my ears. Not too long after that, they're yelling, crucify him. You see, the one who shows up at the door of our heart is Jesus. And it did cost him everything to give you this message. And may God open every one of the doors of our heart to this goodness. And may we go. May we go taking this good news with us. Not as doctors without borders, but as adopted family of God. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the incredible goodness of Jesus Christ, our Savior, your Son. And how good that news was that when even stones were flying, Paul couldn't stop talking about you. And even when he was left for dead and dragged out of the city, Paul would stand up for you. And Father, I thank you for the fellowship we have with you in the midst of those, that tribulation and storm. And Jesus, it's amazing what you have done, that you're a savior without borders and that you would cross into the area that some people say they should be quarantined because of sickness and death and sin. And you entered in. You entered in from a manger and you never even had a home. You hung out with people that were sick and broken. When people ridiculed you for it and they called you a drunk and they called you a glutton, they called you a friend of sinners, you didn't leave. 
And Jesus, you would go to this cross as the holy lamb of God and you would taste our disease. You would become our disease so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The one who has come to the door of our hearts is the Lamb of God who was slain and yet alive to bring us good news. And God, if there's a heart here that's never been open to you, give them the grace and the faith. Take away their greatest disease of sin because of your work on the cross. And God, for the rest of us, God, may we be your family without borders and go into a world filled with disease and sin just like our lives, but been rescued in Christ and bring good news. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.